and welcome to another episode of the Aquatic Mentors podcast. I am your host Katrina Van Eyck and in this episode I interview an industry professional who has learned from the best in the industry and has made a massive contribution to the way the aquatic industry runs today. So please welcome to our podcast Ross Gage. Ross started his swimming journey in Learn to Swim lessons with the legend Laurie Lawrence in country Queensland, where he developed his love for swimming and teaching. Ross has since had a list of roles in the aquatic industry, including owning his own swim school, coaching, CEO of the Australian Swimming Coaches and Teachers Association, CEO of Swim Australia and CEO of Australian Swim Schools Association. Early in his career, Ross received a Bachelor of Human Movement Studies for Education, specialising in psychosocial aspects of children in sport and physical recreation and became a tutor of physical ed student teachers in the Department of Human Movement Studies. He continued to develop his skills by completing aquatic courses and qualifying as a silver level coach for swimming. Ross's list of professional positions, events he has played a role in developing, achievements as well as lectures and publications he has written in his aquatics journey is enough to make anyone's mouth drop. He has had a massive impact on the aquatic industry in so many diverse ways and he has not finished yet. During our talk, Ross mentions his induction into the United States Swim School Association Hall of Fame in 2017 as one of his biggest highlights, and I can understand why. Even though Ross has reached big heights in his swimming career, he's still very humble and enjoys watching his partner's grandchildren take part in their first swimming lessons. Normally, when I record my interviews with guests, I spend time getting to know them before rolling into the podcast questions. This includes small talk and a quick catch up for those that I've met before. I don't normally include these induction conversations in the podcast but Ross shared so much amazing information with me that I knew I needed to include it in the recording. I've learned so much from my interview with Ross and I would love to learn what comments or points inspired you so please share them on our Facebook page Aquatic Mentors and you will find all Ross's contact details listed in the end of our show notes. If you want to share your aquatic journey, please contact me via email regionalswimclinics at outlook.com. That's regionalswimclinics at outlook.com, as I'd love to know my audience better by sharing your journeys in swimming. So let's jump into my interview with Ross Gage as he is sharing his thoughts on the advantages of technology in swim schools. Yeah, oh yeah, the whole technology thing. And it's one thing where I think as an industry, we, at times we've been, particularly in the learn to swim, not so much the coaching side, particularly in the learn to swim where we've been a little bit dismissive of it because we quite understandably think, well, you're not going to be able to replace the water. You know, they're going to actually, if they want to learn to swim, they've got to go to the water, they've got to go to a pool or, or whatever it is. And I think that's true, of course, and that's good, but there's all sorts of other areas in technology that are moving forward so quickly that you you certainly need to embrace to actually free you up from a business perspective, free you up from a a teaching perspective, and it's not meant to replace the person-to-person side of it. It should actually enhance the person-to-person side because it actually frees you up 
to do more person to person, whether it's customer service or teaching. Point. It's a good way of looking at it because it makes, yeah, frees up business so you can work on that and get more connection with it. I like that. That is a good way that we have to think about it more. So it shouldn't be the enemy of the inner connection and the personal side. You can use it to actually enhance that side of things. I've seen what, uh, yeah. in the UK. Yeah, the, the way they've actually absolutely brought strip right down and made so easy the that admin side and it's just frees up the, the people so much to then be the customer service side of it so that you know the person who might be traditionally depending on the size of the swim school of course where you may have one or two behind the desk doing the checking in and different bits and pieces the the more that can be automated one or two of those people can actually get out from behind the desk and be out doing more customer service, explaining to parents why things are the way they are and, and giving a, a much better customer experience. Yeah, I really liked his talk on the ASTA conference. I got a lot out of that. And it's something I sort of, with my swim school being regional only and over summer, I sort of always wanted to expand it and put it into different chires and different pools. Mm-hmm. I thought a really cool way of doing it, that whole franchising and then having it more electronic because I've started to get it electronic to people sign up online and on my website, that sort of thing. So it was really good to draw out so much information from his talk. Yeah, and, and certainly like... The more things can be one automated and then two integrating the various parts that you're automating so you you haven't got this part nicely automated and that part nicely automated but then they're not talking to each other and you sort of save a little bit of time but not as much as you can so to get that integrated automation is is definitely what to be looking for yeah he was a really good his presentation was great look Got a lot out of it, as most of them I got a lot out of on that conference. It did really well. Yeah, I think um, the, the the team at ACID did a tremendous job pulling together the speakers to to be very relevant for the time. Because I, I know back in later last year we were putting together what the conference was going to look like, and then I think ACID very wisely when it looked like it's obviously it needed to go online, completely revamp the program to make it totally relevant to the needs of now, where swim schools are at either reopening or just reopened, not knowing whether a second wave would be coming, how they could look at reimagining their business. And, and I love that there was an overwhelmingly positive vibe to everything. I think that's one of the great things with the, the learn to swim industry. It's a, you know, there's a very positive vibe to it. Of course, it's, it's doing wonderful things, teaching kids to swim and being safer around water. Yeah, that's right. Yep. And you are positive. You've got to be personal and positive with it, connected. And I think you have to have a love of it. If, if you don't have a love and it just becomes a job, it's be quite a hard one to do so I think it develops into different areas like the conference and it was good that they had what to work for currently but it was also things to strive for in the future and how 
what used to work may not work and how to adapt it. That I thought that was really good. Yes. And I think like, as we all know, one of the most challenging things at the moment is the uncertainty and that's hasn't gone away. Maybe in some areas, there's a little bit more certainty at the moment, but even like say in Queensland where I'm at the moment, there's a little bit more certainty, but at the same time, there's a lot of uncertainty about some of the things that where new cases of COVID are out there. It can be just some terribly bad luck and it just skyrockets and then you're back to you know, a, a really difficult situation again. So trying to navigate that, um, the uncertain, or probably coming to grips with the uncertainty that like it, it's sort of, it is what it is. You know, try to, to come to grips with that as best as you can but look, look at the positives and use some of the time that you now have to do a little bit of the reimagining and do a few things that you might not want to or mightn't have done before. I've seen some of the swim schools who had wanted to look at decreasing class sizes from maybe four to three, and it was always going to be a difficult thing and to try and actually make it work from a cost effectiveness side too, when and COVID became a good ex opportunity to, to do a lower ones in their classes and also increase the, the fees accordingly. Uh, not that I'm saying you should increase fees or not, but, but that, you know, that was a good example to get something that they sort of always wanted to do, but was going to be you know, potentially a bit of a hard sell. So yeah, some things like that. Yeah, sorry, like in some of the things with the old, uh, I know it's been hacked to death, the, the new norm, and the new normal, there's like a current <laughs> new normal now. But six months down the track, we're not sure what the, the new normal is going to be, whether it's going to be even more of this or less of this or what will go back to the way it was. But you know, things like increased hygiene, for example, I think that's going to be in now for a long time. And that's probably a good thing. That's right. It's definitely a good thing. It's something that everyone sort of needed to do a bit more of. And we've learned to adapt and change. I think it's been a really good thing that's come out of this, that we don't have to stick to the old ways, come out and do something new and fresh. Yeah, exactly. And change can be very challenging. I know plenty of times when I sort of wanted to change or had to change and, and there's challenging and that's more or less for different people. I sort of envy some people who actually really love continuous change. I thought, whoa, that's pretty good on you. <laughs> but, but change is a fact of life and we're in a stage where there's increasing change and that's, you know, some of that stuff, as you said, it's, that's will become a little bit of the new, the new norm and not getting too bogged down with some of the uncertainties, knowing what it is. I think that, of course, uh, more things, particularly during COVID, and it may be the case for a while after, there's more things that are outside of our control that we can't manage to the same extent that we used to. And uh, so some of those things, the best we can do now is navigate our path around it to make the, mess, the most of it and maximise the opportunities there, realising that some of the things that we used to be able to control and manage we just can't at the moment. And, and that may be the, you know, the way forward uh, for a while. Some of the things, the best you can do is, is navigate what's there. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. 
And I think, you know, that's it. That's, it's probably adapt to what we have to and, yeah, we can get back to some sort of normal. And, but I think a new, fresh approach is something that swimming definitely, definitely needed. Yeah, and particularly as of well, my focus in for well, quite a while now has more been on the learn the swim side, and it'd be interesting to see how. And as I said, it's a little bit more distance for me now, but to see how the the coaching and the the sports side adapt and and make changes as well. Of course, of you know the different challenges there. Yeah, I'll be interesting to see that because. It's something that we've been craving for in the country is a better way of doing competitive swimming. So it'll be interesting to see what happens compared with, you know, City and Metro and how it all comes out on the competitive side. Hopefully they're looking forward and looking for new ways. I know for a long time, this is with some of my previous hats, plus also being involved in swimming my whole life. You know, I love the competitive side and coach for a while and I still love that side of it all but I know it's been a big challenge and it'll become and it's an increasing challenge not just for swimming but for a lot of the traditional competitive sports about how to engage mm. the younger children once they've learned the basics to keep participating in swimming in some sort of a formal sense which traditionally been has been the pathway out of a swim school is you would get into a squad and again traditionally that might be way many times a week that a lot of people wanted to do but that was the only pathway i think a lot of work's been done probably the last 10 or so years to give some different pathways there for to keep kids in uh, but that still needs i think a lot of work to make that better i've always believed that if the kids, when they graduate from the swim school, if they have a pathway there that keeps them swimming, even if it's not on the, towards the competitive high performance track, the longer they keep in their swimming and they'll improve, the more chance they are of actually then jumping back onto the competitive track. I don't think it has to be a one or the other. They can complement each other. And I think you know, Grant Hackett was a terrific example of that where his passion for a long time was wanting to train for surf swimming and his coach very wisely let him did that, do that. And then he realised how good a swimmer he was and he jumped back into the pool competitive track and, you know, we know what a great swimmer he was. Wow, I never knew that about Grant Hackett. That's amazing. Yeah. There's so yeah. many options. Yeah, he had ball. And Dennis Cottrell at Miami was his coach then and from a young kid going through and his brother too was an extremely good competitive swimmer and surf swimmer so you know Dennis used to often say that if he had forced Grant at an earlier age to choose between surf and pool he might have lost him to pool but you know he let him do the surf and come along and then switched back so if you can ever get Dennis Cottrell on for one of your sessions he would give you an amazing interview too oh wow that would be great i'd love to i'd love to have him on i'll have to try and get him yes yeah track him down <laughs> and i think there'll be good chances to ask some of the people in positions of, of power for want of another word in the competitive sphere to you know to see where they're going and where they're going to change things and 
like as you know, Katrina, there's been a lot of talk around about trying to have much shorter meets for the, particularly the younger kids so that they're not drawn out for long periods of time with a lot of time between events and not getting much time. And, and they're all, and I know there, there's some difficult things to solve there because you, you might have a, a brother and a sister and the short meet's great for one, but the other's a little bit too old for that one. And the older style meet actually suits some of those things. So it, it's not always a straightforward answer and it won't suit everybody, but I think now's a great time to experiment even more so than in the past with some of those, some of those things. Yeah, that's right. We've got the opportunity and everyone's come up with great ideas over the years. Let's throw them in a pot and see what actually works. Try them, adapt them and hopefully come up with something that works really well. Yes, yeah. Oh, it's good because it's, it's such a, a great activity, swimming. You know, the benefits of being able to swim is so good. And one of the things I love with my six-month stint recently with Carlos Swimming in Sydney where they still use Forbes as saying it of to swim well as an asset for life. And I think it's just so good. And it's, and I think one of the bits I do like is the well part. It doesn't mean to swim well, doesn't mean you have to be an Olympian or anything, but you do want to actually be a reasonably good swimmer to actually fully enjoy all the opportunities that are out there for swimming, whether it's being safer in the surf or doing the surf. It's, the more we can as an industry get into the minds of parents that to swim across the pool and get out isn't really good enough. That's not swimming well. No, that's that's a ticks a little box in the progression to being able to to swim well. I think as an industry or whatever it is to if we can get a buy-in and sell to the community that here is a minimum standard for your child's swimming education, the better. And it's not just to swim across the pool or, or, or whatever it is. I think, you know, that, that's one of the challenges there. In my earlier days when, I think it, when it was actually establishing Swim Australia for ASTA, having a discussion with David Ari, who set up State Swim in, at that stage in Adelaide and since moved expanded to Perth, but David had a high level coaching background that he set up State Swim and was probably one of the first swim systems in the world to start to become well systemized. Now they probably led the way in that regard. But I remember David was saying as one of the challenges then was back in the day, and I go back to my time as a, a youngster, and if a parent could put in two years into helping their child with their learn to swim and swimming education, et cetera. That was a pretty good commitment to make. And you could come out a reasonable swimmer because then you usually didn't start to you say around five. So if you started as a five-year-old and you did two years of reasonable swimming, you could be a, like quite a reasonable swimmer. You're not on your way to the Olympics, but you're quite a reasonable swimmer. And as David pointed out, and it just makes so much sense with now children maybe starting at say six months or one year, which I think is fantastic. It's got amazing benefits. But if a parent put in two years of swimming commitment to their education then, 
by the time they're three, they're going to be really good at what a three-year-old can do. And that's not what we want them to be able to do as a five-year-old or a seven-year-old or, or whatever. So I think that's a big challenge for us as if they're starting as infants to be able to say at significant milestones, well, that's tremendous, Mr. and Mrs. Smith or Ching or whoever it is, uh, you've put in two years and your child can now do this. However, that's the stepping stone to this. So now in the next two years as a five-year-old, even if they're buying into it for purely water safety reasons, as a five-year-old, the skills that they had as a three-year-old might necessarily be what they need for the, the dangers that they're going to get into as a five-year-old. They need more different skills. So, you know, they need to keep going again. To sell that path and commitment I think, to parents is a big, a big thing. Yeah, I've never looked at it like that. And that is fantastic. It is a big thing to be able to, you know, show to them that, yes, there's two years. And that is a commitment, especially I find here in the country, the two years is what people are keen to put in. And by then they think, well, two years, my kid should be doing what they can be doing in the water. But because they are starting so young, it's actually just getting them up to a beginner level and developing their own independence in the water. So then you have to continue that and to be able to push that for the parents and educate them that there are following steps that they need to continue. I think that's really good. And I've never actually nutted it out that far. That's fantastic. It is a big commitment for parents. As we know, it's, it's a tremendous commitment and the, the benefits are amazing. But, uh, you know, you put yourself in their shoes and they have all these different things happening and it's so easy to tick a box. Okay, I've done two years of swimming, now the time to do something else with my child. And that, that's, I, I think we have well, an understandable bias in swimming that unlike other physical activities, which are tremendous like gymnastics and dance and all those amazingly wonderful things for kids, we do have that initial benefit of the, the safety side and helping making them safer in and around water. Yeah, that's right. We, we've got that life-saving side and that safety side behind us, which then can attract them in and push them. So we need to be able to use that. But I think also you could say get them in at six months, give them the two years to this little bit more to get them to school age. And then, you know, the schools, the programs they run in schools, if we have, I think if we could get those connections happening and that time much out of it and they would be developing and becoming more confident in the water and being able to do a lot more activities. Yeah, definitely. And the, uh, getting those connections and the pathways in place uh, or to trying to maximise those potential pathways, is it makes so much sense, but it, it's, there's difficulties around it because in, like in swimming world, you have learn to swim and there's some that are private some that are, have a different situation some that are linked to clubs some that aren't some that are part of schools and and i don't think all that's necessarily a bad thing because it actually has different models out there working and you can learn from the different models to make your model better but it, there is a different challenge there to just say in the afl pathway for example you go and do auskick and then you join a little your local club. And it's a very, if you want to do AFL, it's a very clear pathway and the progressions are there. And if you do swimming, 
that the pathway can be there, but where it's delivered along the way is more complex. And, and that it is what it is. And you're not going to be able to blow that up and start from scratch, but trying to get the delivery along the pathway and make each section of the pathway as exciting and engaging as possible is the bit of the challenge. I've often, I heard back, particularly back when I was doing work with, with Asta and on the coaching side and going with Soaring Australia meetings or all the different state associations and they would quite rightly point out that AFL, for example, literally have hundreds and hundreds of paid development offices around the, the country and swimming just doesn't have that capacity. I think, you know, the funding to Swimming Australia for participation is a small fraction of what they get for high performance. And there's strong historical reasons why that's the case. But, you know, that being what it is, swimming potentially though, I think has thousands of development offices where every coach and every swim school owner and hopefully every teacher, it's a little bit harder for the teachers because some come in and out, but the ones who are in it longer, they, with not a lot of upskilling, can become that community service, a development officer for swimming, for the sport. They're already in, in place there. And to be able to have, maximise that opportunity there for the teachers, for the swim school owners and managers, for the coaches to put on their activity or sport development hat, I think that's, that's a great opportunity there. Yeah, what a good point. It's up to us, you know, as the coaches and the, the swim teachers to be able to push it. We, you know, that's something we can't afford as I felt like they have that opportunity. We're assuming we can't, but we can push that forward ourselves and give that opportunity to others and speak out about it and show how make such a great career out of it. And I think that works because... When the kids are young, they are involved and we've pushed that water safety sign. But once they get to school age, there's so many small sports that open up, whether it be, I know, Auskick and Nets that go, they start at five. The school In a school program, you get open up to many more sports through PE and things like that. So if we can connect with them and then push them past that sort of school stage and keep them on board and, and keep them learning, but also show them, like you said, that, promote it and show that it becomes a life opportunity and work together as an industry I think we can make such a big difference with that yeah yeah I think the still for quite a bit of the pathway you've got two customers the one is the parents who when the little tack is one year old the parents are making the decision so they're virtually the the customer there and then you as they progress along they get to an age where the child is going to start to have more or a growing influence in the decision-making of the parents as to where they keep going. So you, the, the crossover there starts to, to come into it. But ties in, I think, with a little bit, and I know I haven't been talking too much about learning to swim here, but I, I do like the coaching side as well. It, it's been, I think it's a challenge, <laughs> particularly the sports side, that over the last, say, 20 years, Swim schools in general, I'm just generalising, swim schools in general, general 
have got way better at their customer service than they used to be. So parents in their swim school now used to a level of customer service that's up here. They then graduate from the swim school and the, if they're going to stay in the swimming pathway, if that centre is not offering so a recreational lap swimming path or whatever it is for them, the pathway is generally into a swimming club. And, and my parents were secretary of the swimming club and everything, I love it, it's a great thing. But some of that has found it hard to change from what it was in the 1970s to now. Totally understandable, and this is not throwing any rocks at anyone, because there are a whole lot of well-meaning volunteers are putting up there, and they're turning over pretty regularly, of course, as they won their volunteers and they're turning over. But for them to then provide the level of customer service that the parents used to is extremely hard. So that, that's a challenge. And then they go into the coach. And I think that this is where the coach, the, you know the, the different ones, the ones that can embrace the, the children, the child, and the kids can look up to them and love them. And that's fantastic. But if they don't have some of those soft skills to do that, you're then competing with lower customer service and disengagement from the where the kid is seeing the relevance to them and all of a sudden soccer or whatever becomes that much more appealing to them. So again, that goes back to you know, that the, the club trying to increase its customer service, which I said is very challenging you know, because of the, the volunteers and turnover. And then the coaches having the, the soft skills not just the sport technical knowledge, but the soft skills to really engage and keep the kids wanting to come. That's exactly it. And that, wow, that's what I've been, you can see that from, especially out in the country areas, you can see that. And like you said, it is a lot of volunteers. is still set back in, you know, years, previous years and using the same sort of techniques and things that adapted it you know, previously and made the sport so wonderful back then. But as you said, people are expecting more out of sport now and out of customer service. And to be able to go from what you get in a learn to swim perspective, where all that is a big concentration and a big effort to then it all just dropping away when you club to a club sport. Yeah, it, it makes a huge difference. No wonder people aren't wanting to connect through and continue it. You know, even things like searching for a club in your local area. You know, people want instant gratification these days and they don't want to have research for things. So if they haven't got someone to ask in the community who they know, you know, is involved in the sport, then they're just not going to bother. Yeah, and it's hard. This is certainly not throwing any stones at, at the club because I can fully appreciate how hard it is. Like I, I know when my parents were on the committee, the secretary and whatever it was at Aikenvale Swimming Club in Townsville going back in the day. They, <laughs> every club night there was a big barbecue and, and there's no trouble getting timekeepers and they were the days where people had time to volunteer and probably, you know, generally there was only one parent working and all sorts of stuff. So you had a stack of volunteers, they all more time, things were a little bit laid back and that's not the, the case now. So how to adapt and be successful in that environment is 
is a big challenge. Yeah. Um, tremendous opportunities for those yeah. who get it right. Yeah, that's right. I was talking to a friend of mine who's involved in the uh, Koran Club with me and I said, oh, if we could just, you know, build participation numbers and build engagement. And she said, if you could work out what to do and you came up with the golden rule, you'd be absolutely rich. I thought, oh, yes, I'll try and do that. But it, it's just varies in so many clubs and so many areas. Yeah, well, it is. And I know flippantly about the rich but I think it is one of the wonderful things about learn to swim and swim skills and everything. You can actually make a living out of doing what you love. It's one of those great you know, opportunities in the world. If, if this is what you love and you can get enough business acumen around it, you can make a living or even sometimes like a, a very, very good living around doing what you love and you know, how good is that? It's amazing. Yeah, I'm flat out over summer doing something I love. I get my kids involved. I, I, I get into it and get going. And, you know, I can make enough money over summer to keep us going. And I think that's absolutely fantastic to be able to throw that in, you know, to be able to look after a family with it doing something I love. And then, you know, I have other opportunities to work over winter and, you know, bring presenting. And there's so many variations you can do in the job. You don't have to work... 24-7 as a swim teacher, you can do different ideas. But if you are working at that, you are making such a change to kids' lives. And it's just an enjoyable area we can go in and make a personal difference to someone. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think it's one of the things that I learned through my association days. Like I had my own swim school that I started and ran for over... 30 years, although my um, then wife did most of the work towards the end of that. But with my association hats on, to get a, a much better perspective of all the differences out there, as I said, the six months I spent with Carlisle, I absolutely loved it because to me they're the premier swim school brand in the world. So to spend time there was amazing. But I also know that then coming across just say country Victoria, in your example, in some of my earlier association days, I said, oh, those school schools can afford to pay this for membership. And then chatting to some people in country Victoria or wherever it was and say, well, actually, we're only open for three months of the year. And part of that's still pretty cold. And, you know, you can't compare us with them. And that was like an amazing, or part of an experience, but you know, very enlightening to know, one, what a big country it is. And even within our wonderful industry, all the different variances that are out there and everyone has a, you know, a really important place to play. And probably like in your circumstances and other in similar, what you can do in that three months can be even more important to what one swim school might be doing in Sydney or Brisbane or Melbourne because they've got other opportunities there to go to another swim school or whatever. Whereas they've got one opportunity there for a short period of time each year getting that service delivered is critical and, and so amazing that it happens. It is. The other swim schools are so far away. They, they're not keen on travelling. Over winter, other sports get involved. And I think for me, the fact that I have to engage with kids of different communication styles, kids that may not connect well with me, but I've still got to be able to teach them and advance them in some way. It actually blows your skills out yeah. and a lot harder and a lot more engaging, which I really like. Yeah. For teachers, 
young school teachers, both my kids are school teachers now, but they spent quite a few years as swimming teachers while they're going through high school and university, etc. And I know that my formal university qualification is in education and when we used to do a lot of track teaching, whenever we'd come back from doing swimming teaching, which is what I was doing to earn money going through uni, and you come back and actually you're doing classroom teaching and the like, your supervisors certainly picked up how much better you were as, as a teacher. Because as you said, in, in those groups, you're really focusing a lot on one-on-one, -on -one, even if it might be a group of four, you're really honing your skills on engaging an individual, but there's also the differences within the group uh, and you're having to do a lot of that. So the experience that you actually get in that in that swimming environment and the teaching, if you then go on and become the school teacher is invaluable. Even if you don't become a school teacher, your communication skills just go massively enhanced with that. It's one of the, you know, the, the side benefits of doing swimming teaching. Yeah, that's it. I really like that. And, you know, it is. You, you're having to communicate in many different ways to many different kids, but also you, you've got the whole area of safety because you've got to keep them safe in the water. So that sort of amplifies it again, that you've got to be able to keep these kids safe, but connect to them, engage them, and also expand what they can do all in one sort of half an hour session once a week. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And they, there's an interesting one with swimming teaching, and I go back to when I used to get in the water and teach, which I did for many, many years, and gradually, and I loved it. But it was, and this one tying in the business of swim schools side, which I've been more involved with in more recent years, but with the teaching side, I once went to a seminar in Brisbane, this is going back early 1990s, I think, and it was delivered by a guy from Michael Gerber, who was out from the US, and he wrote the E-Myth Revisited. So he's the one who coined the phrase about working on your business and not in your business so much. So around systemizing your business, etc., for a whole range of reasons, one to make it easier and flow better, etc., etc. But one of the things he was talking about, and there's probably two things which I'd throw in if we if we have time. One of the things that he was talking about, which resonated with me with teaching in general and swimming teaching in particular, because as we know in swimming teaching, you get your accreditation and it might be after basically hours or days of doing your stuff. You, you haven't done a three or four year degree. So that's, and there's all sorts of reasons that it is, but like you come out, you've got your accreditation and where I was trying to impart to people really, you know, see that as your L plate, you've still got a long way to go. But you've got the way Gerber put it, and he was yeah. saying, and this is in a business area, that when you first go in, and I think it equates so well to new teachers, really you're an organiser. You're not a teacher at the moment, you're an organiser. If you can actually organise those kids so they're safe and they're doing a little bit of this and they're listening and everything, that's probably pretty good for a brand new teacher. And then you progress from there to an instructor. So you actually know how to get them organized 
And now you're instructing them, telling them to do this. We're going to do facing, kicking, facing, kicking, blah, blah, blah. And then as they get more experienced and better at it, then they actually become a real teacher. Yes, they've got the kids organized. They're telling them what to do. But now they're in a teacher. They're giving them good feedback. They're engaging them. They're encouraging them and everything. So I always thought that was a good way to look at it, to think, just be realistic on this new teacher. They might have their offspring. They might have their sat or whatever it is. But don't expect them to be this three-year trained teacher who's got 10 years experience or been doing that, you know, they help them become a good organiser, help them become a good instructor, then help them become a good teacher. So that's always resonated with me and has, I think, been a way to explain where we're at. And the other thing he, he said, and this applies whether you're a teacher or in your business or you're a coach or whatever, a lot of people are out there looking for great teachers to help them. One of the things he said that resonated with me so well was become a great learner. Put it back on yourself. Become a great learner. There's lots of ways you can go out there and learn. And yes, seek out great teachers. See, but there's, you can learn from all sorts of areas and it can be learning from mistakes. It can be learning from people who aren't great teachers. I believe that passionately, you know, become a great learner not so much spend your time going around teaching great teachers. And if you're not progressing to where you are, blame it because you haven't been lucky enough to come across a great teacher. You see that, and I see it it's like one of the things when challenges come up, you see the people who are the great learners adapt. This is a challenge. They go out and try and learn and make things happen rather than the ones who are always out looking for a great teacher are sitting back sometimes waiting for things to be done for them and the like. I think, you know, get out there, be a great learner. Being in a rural area, not having as much. One big thing why I became a presenter is it was difficult to be, to be able to attend courses and to adapt and use that time to be in so many things we can um, look at, whether it be books or online courses, Facebook posts, getting that ourselves and jumping in and using those products. Yeah, yeah, and like being in a situation where you are in the, in a rural area like that, you could say, oh, this is all too hard. Nobody's here coming helping me with this, blah, blah, blah. Or you could do like you've done and just go on with it. Okay, well, I can source information this way. I can source information here. I can do this. I can make the, the most of it. That being said, associations and industries and everything should still be trying to make as many things as easy, easily and affordably accessible to people no matter where they are in the country that's you know you, you can't have a, a, co a conference everywhere of course but things like um, having more stuff available online and for people like yourself who are just so keen to learn and get into it and and do better that's that's uh, tremendous that's what we want how did you start your journey in swimming in swimming i'm right back in 1964 as a four-year-old so you got my age there proud 60 this year so back in <laughs> 1964 in Townsville and I was one of the blessings in my life fortunate enough to be taught how to swim by the the one and only Laurie Lawrence at the Tobruk pool on the strand in Townsville Alan Stumpy Lawrence Laurie's dad had the pool Laurie used to 
actually live upstairs above the, the pool. That's where his place was. And so he was doing the teaching. And, and it was one, you know, coming across a young Laurie Lawrence, but also some of the things that you saw from him, well, which I saw from him as a young person growing up, like his work ethic, his passion, because he was doing university studies at the same time, trained to be a phys ed teacher. I think it's one of the great things that helped him become such a great educator. Of course, he did actually have like a background in education to help challenge some of the thinking that he came across and present some pedagogy and, and curriculum in, in such a good way. Uh, that was great. But um, to see the guy's passion, as I said, and, and worth ethic firsthand, so I so learned with Laurie as a four-year-old. I remember my first trip on a, a plane was December 1969. So it was Laurie and a small group of us from his squad went to Brisbane to the Big Smoke, as it was. And my crowning glory was to win the under 10 Queensland 200 metre butterfly championships. <laughs> so that was... That, that was probably my peak in the swimming. And I kept swimming and different things and life-saving and everything like that. But that experience with, with Laurie was, was pretty amazing. And I think one of the things with Laurie, like I said, we know about the, the Olympics with Duncan Armstrong and John Seaven and what he's done more recent times. But he was always extremely innovative. So if we go back to... 1969, that's a long time ago, before we went down to the Queensland Championships after, in the evening after we'd finished our training session, those who were going to the, would go to the back of the pool, lay down on our towels and he'd get us to close our eyes and he would take us through a visual image of being at the valley pool and what it'd be like and the train going at the back of the pool. And so here's this back in 69 to a bunch of young kids doing mental rehearsal and visual imagery back in, in that time. Uh, and again, this is like the become a great learner. He would go and seek out coaches in America who were probably trying to get rid of this pestery Aussie and learn anything and everything he could from anybody and everybody. So he, he was a tremendous learner and a fantastic storyteller for anyone who's actually listened to him. He used to tell us stories in between sets of training about you know great overcoming great adversity etc etc you know back back in the old days yeah so that that was my introduction to swimming and i've been fortunate to keep a like a pretty strong connection with with laurie ever since wow what an amazing prodigy to start off with and to be able to develop such a connection and i think for us now seeing like you said, that you know the meditation and bringing those areas in, and the storytelling to be able to connect. I mean, that's things that now they're saying are new, and let's try this new fashionable thing. But to be doing that from you know right from the start, to see that it's worked and yeah, engage so many people. Well, Laurie loved and highly respected Forbes Carlisle, and Forbes was one of the greats, if not greatest, 
person for trying different things, whether it was, he, he invented the pace clocks, lane ropes to keep people under control and tried hypnotherapy and warm water, all these amazing things well before his time. And Laurie uh, loved Forbes and, and loved all those parts about him. So it was no coincidence that then Laurie became quite experimental and wanting to try all different bits and pieces as well and was obviously extremely successful with it. I think one of the things I remember and those who passed my time who would have trained with Laurie, he was also a great believer in Forbes's speed through endurance philosophy, which meant there was plenty of miles done <laughs> in training. <laughs> as it was in the day. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I can just imagine. But, I mean, he produced such amazing swimmers. So, yeah, it obviously worked, especially for that time as well. Yeah. Well, we'd go uh, down from Townsville. And I think at one stage, and it's a good example, one, obviously, Laurie's one out of the box, but it does show a difference a really good coach can make. So... Townsville back then was 70,000 people. And at one stage in Laurie's squad in the early 70s, there was something like, uh, and I stand to be corrected, something like 13 Australian age championships, not champions, but a number of kids, but in this little tiny place in the middle of nowhere, the course, there was a tremendous coach. And there was another guy called Peter Tibbs in Townsville who was a very good coach as well. So there was like competition between good coaches. And I think it's certainly brought out a lot of good results. Yeah, that would be amazing. And that competition in such a small town would make a big difference too. Yes. And like with Laurie, and it's easy to focus on, particularly as a coach, what a, a hard taskmaster he was, and he certainly was. But the socialising that we did as a group, he would pack us into his cars and we'd go to the drive-in and we'd have barbecues and we'd do all sorts of things as a team and as an environment. So while one aspect of his coaching ability gets a lot of highlights, he had a much bigger package going for him than that. He was also like a very strong student of biomechanics and proper stroke techniques. So the the hard physical side, which you often are the stories that are told about Laurie, there's a, a much bigger side to him than that. Yeah, that's brilliant. I love that. So, so far with your swimming journey, what's been the biggest lesson that you've learned? Um, oh, it's hard to pull out one, one particular one. I think for me, one of the things that I've really enjoyed is the networking side of it. I think, one, personally, I get a lot out of it and I just love networking with people in the industry around Australia and and overseas. Like my favourite time of the year is going to the US Swim Schools conference each year, which I can't do this year, sadly. But that whole networking where it becomes like your extended family because you're, you're getting together with a group of people who who understand what you're on about and you're in your same areas uh, and that you learn a lot from that group as well. So I often encourage people if network and, and get to meet some people and I know for some people that's hard, like I'm not normally an extrovert or anything like that, but 
meeting people or even if you can get someone to help introduce you to someone and do different things like that that i think that's one of the great things you can get out of it i know my daughter was a singing nerd in choirs and when she'd get together with the national choir she was in it was there was this bunch of nerds all who were into the same thing getting together and she just, that was the highlight of her year and, and i got it because for me it was getting together with swimming people now, whether it's big swim schools, large swim schools, where they had a coaching past or whatever it was, and chatting and all sorts of things like that. I, I think that's as something that I could recommend to people try again about being a good learner. That fits in, I think, with being a good learner. You know, just try and expand your network. You can learn so much from it. Things like, and I think I heard in one of your earlier conferences, Katrina, about once you actually got to a conference, then you fully understand, wow, what the buzz is about it. And yes, there's the sessions and listening to people that you've only heard about and everything. But then the more you go to them, yeah, there's that part as well. But then there's the catching up with the people and the, the chats over coffee or at the bar and the, the networking parts of it. So that, that's a great thing to do. And it, Often it's harder just to get to your first one, but if you get to your first one, it's really hard not to go to more. <laughs> That's something that happened here. I went to my first one, thanks lovely to a scholarship from Swim Australia and Asta and Swim Vic. And to be able to go to that first one, and my husband said, oh, you'll go, you know, maybe one every three years or something. And I came back and I said, no, hon, I'm going every single year. And he's like, oh, no, I have to factor all this in. but. It just was amazing to be able to attend something. I've attended local ones here in Victoria, but something that big that, I mean, seeing the people that I see as idols and connecting with them and seeing them in person was just, you know, amazing. As I shared with a few stories of crying in front of Laurie Lawrence and uh -huh. the poor fella not knowing what to do. Um, <laughs> and, you know, seeing Dawn Fraser and Ian Pope and those sort of people that you've, sort of idolised and connected with through their stories or through the work that they've done through their swimmers, but never actually seen them. And then actually seeing them in person, but realising that they're just normal people as well. I think that's been fantastic. I think for me, connection and networking is about going somewhere with an aim mm -hmm. and then drawing out of it so much more than what they want to originally get. Just taking, engaging and taking in everything. Yeah, yeah, that's good. And that's like, you know, you got aim, you want to get something out of it. And there'll be some things that you know, well, I really like that, but it's not going to fit in or work for me. And then there'll be other things I really like that. I, can, I think I can actually adopt that. And there'll probably be a whole lot of those things. And you then prioritise what you can real, realistically implement over time. And then there'll be some things you'll just say, well, I think that's BS, but <laughs> whatever, you know. But you, you know, you have your filter <laughs> there, and you'll 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 go with that. You know, what are the things that you think are good, and and out of those things, which are those good things that apply to your situation, and then the ones that do apply. Okay, how can I prioritise and, and implement them over a period of time? Yeah, and I really like that, and it is about prioritising. I came back from 
the conference, the first one, and I had about 20 million things I wanted to do. And, but I since realized that a lot of that stuff doesn't have to happen straight away. It's about doing stepping stones and building blocks to get to those ultimate goals. But also it is about taking what people can do and have done and then adapting it to your facility and your experience as well. So it may not fit perfectly, but, you know, some factor of it may fit. Uh, I really do like that. But it also, there's so such a wide variety of different things and different sort of streams that you can attend in these conferences now that it's definitely getting people thinking and new things coming through. Yeah, definitely. I think from a conference perspective and probably to keep it in perspective, it may be a while before there's any significant face-to-face conferences again. Although like one of the, the flip side, one of the beauties of forcing everything to online is it's actually exposed a lot more people to a lot more people and ideas, which is you know, a good plus. And, and that'll be, I think, a legacy moving on. But one of the face-to-face ones, and it's probably a, a tip from some of the best conference goers that I've seen, is if possible, and this comes back to you know money and time, if possible, don't race off at the end of the day on the last day. Try and go out later the next day so you can actually the next day have some time to sit down, digest, go through your notes, work out your priorities, rather than race back into your work environment and all the wonderful things that you wanted to do or get put back into one day, one day, one day scenario. So I've seen you know, some conference goers be really effective that way. Um, and, I, and I know there's pressure to go back straight away because you save a night's accommodation and, and your husband wants you, wants you back there to do do whatever, etc. But if you can do that bit of time to set aside, or if you've got to go back, set aside some time each week, at least for the next month, to focus on, on your notes and go through and implement it, rather than become piles of notes each year from conferences that you never actually got around to implementing anything from. Yeah, and that's a really good point because it does take that time for your brain to digest everything and you need, a lot of that happens while you're asleep. So you need to be able to take that time, relax, and then, yeah, reread over it every time you read something. It's like reading an email and getting your first response to it. If you sit back and read it again and again, your whole perspective on it changes. You get other bits out of it. It's the same with notes and conferences you pull different things out of it every time you read it so and you know that works with an online conference as much as an in-person mm. conference as well yeah definitely i and i need to be way better at this myself but i try in my planner for argument's sake after and i have a, a zoom meeting and i had five of them yesterday but to try and after each one have a debrief time put in the diary so I can actually digest some of the stuff that was happening in there, go through what I need to do out of it rather than put it off, put it off, put it off. Um, Trying to put set aside time for planning is not just with conference but everything is in a busy world it's so easy just to get into it and that, that goes back to the good old Gerber you know work on your business and not in it which can be hard to do but if you can 
set aside that planning time each week and it's got to be a major catastrophe to interfere with that planning time uh, i think that does you the world of good yeah that's right definitely so you've mentioned a few highlights in your journey but are there any others that stand out to you uh like i really love the coaching like when i first got the lease of the pool and in Brisbane in the early 1980s for a Brisbane City Council out at Balbarry. It was like a small community, 3,000 people. Then there was a semi-rural area before it actually got into Brisbane. I loved my coaching then, and that was my ego following Laurie and, you know, wanted to be the coach, and I loved all that. And we certainly had some highlights there, getting a couple of our relay teams, getting medals at national age from such a small community I thought you know that that was great love that and on the coaching side and then in the learn to swim probably one of the things that uh, I got the big biggest buzz out of from the, the, the sport I, I liked I, I think one of the things which was good in helping the industry move forward sort of the role I played in getting ASA as it was then the Australian Swim Coaches Association to become the Australian Swim Coaches and Teachers Association in 1996, I think. Driving that, I think that was good. And I think that was a, a good stepping stone to bring teachers and coaches and the sport and learn to swim a little closer. I think that enjoyed that. But the, probably the biggest, like a single honor and buzz was getting inducted into the US Swim School's Hall of Fame, 2017, I think. So I said that that's my favourite time of the year going over there, catching up with my extended swim school family over there and, and enjoying it and taking in a conference without actually running the conference and doing all that. <laughs> I, I just love that time of it and that that sort of peer recognition was great and I, I just just love seeing people in, in swim schools getting more and more professional and they're liking. The, one of the things that I've just had meeting yesterday with the ASA Water Safety Committee and seeing the passion of that group trying to maximise the safer water warriors and you know, getting all those tremendous and vital water safety messages out there. And, and one of the things that was brought up there yesterday by Dave Dubois, who's championed this for many, many years, is what a fantastic role swim schools have in promoting water safety messages to their captive audience there. Yes, we want public awareness programs and everything like that, but swim schools have this captive audience there where you can not just be teaching water safety skills, but water safety education to the kids and their parents. So since swim schools get better and better at that, I'm really looking forward to, to that happening. Yeah, wow. That's absolutely fantastic highlight and such varying highlights as well. So you can see that you've taken them from every opportunity and amazing being inducted into the Hall of Fame. I think that's perfect. And it sounds from we've only really gotten to know each other over this podcast interview, but the wealth of knowledge that you have is amazing. So I think it's well done for them to do that. And what you want to see in the future is being generated and you know to see that you have such a outlook for the future is fantastic it's it's not 
been and done? You're still looking to promote and develop the industry. Yeah, thanks, Katrina. For anyone who's been around a long time, you'll see swim schools, how much they've come forward in the last 20 years. But there's still a long way to go to get better and better and better. And, you know, the things that we've touched on before about getting better at water safety, skill development and education, getting better at keeping people in swimming past two years into four years, six years and, and into making a, a lifetime activity. So there, there's tremendous challenges there, but they're, they're great challenges, you know, and there's lots of opportunity to do that. We've got plenty of passionate people in the industry who want to see that happen and are contributing to it happen. And like you're playing a great role instead of beginning with this podcast because it's getting more people out thinking and listening and hearing to people in all sorts of different situations who are loving what they're doing and being successful in their in their own way all around swimming which is amazing yeah yeah thank you and it is good to be able to put it out there and and i think that ties in really well with my next question is you know we are role models like you said if if we can generate interest and education about the sport and about the industry we become role models for other teachers but also for the community and for our swimmers and so has there been anyone in your life in your swimming journey spoken about laurie Anyone else that's made a big role and big impact in your journey? Yeah, um, well, well, Laurie, he, partly because Laurie's Laurie, and he's been around <laughs> uh, and he's been so successful and we've sort of had that, you know, relatively close relationship. I actually went to his wedding as a kid, so that was pretty cool, you know, you look back oh, on wow. that. But he... Um, there was him, but I would have loved to have had more time with Forbes Carlisle. And I remember the first time I met him in 1983. Here's this guy who's this absolute legend. And he's dressed like he's just fallen out of Kmart. Couldn't care, just does, that doesn't care to him. But he's just so engaged, so passionate, so sharing and, and welcoming him that, you know, you could have been his best mate or whatever like that. You, you would have loved to spend some more time with, with Forbes. But I've looked at, from inspiration to a certain extent, but also in my old office on the filing cabinet, just have four caricatures of people who had thing, aspects I admired to them. I didn't look at necessarily as any as a hero, but they had some things that I really admired. So Laurie was one. Walt Disney was another. Dee Verwin, Crocodile Hunter was another one. And the other one was Professor Fred Hollows, who did the, the eye side. And I think they all had tremendous characteristics that if you could bottle some of those and, and put them all together, that, you know, that would be pretty cool. Lots of people in the, in the swim school swimming area like that. I, you, know, you see the people in different positions doing fantastic things. I like probably one that, just as an example of someone in the industry doing amazing stuff is Tracy Ayton and her crew at Little Heroes Swim Academy in Sydney, where they've started about five years ago now, a charity 
totally focused around providing uh, access to kids with disability to learn to swim in water safety. And to see that group being so passionate and driven with what they're, with what they're doing, you know, they epitomise a lot of the great things that, uh, that we do. And you, you, know, you see the coaches who are so passionate about it. And even I was at uh, my partner's grandchildren's swim school to this morning having a look at one of the Cassidy having his swimming lesson and to see his teacher so I don't even know her name or whatever. It's the first time I saw him have a lesson. But she was giving this tremendous lesson. The kids were engaged. They were flowing. They were smiling. They were loving it. And you know, to see all that happen is, you know, that, that's very inspiring in itself. Wow. And that's amazing. And just seeing the change that people are able to give and but taking inspiration from such a broad range of your standout people like Walt Disney, Sir Fred Hollows, Laurie and Steve Irwin, but then also taking inspiration out of a swim teacher in the grassroots and in the actual pool themselves. I think that's fantastic to see such diverse range of people giving you such great inspiration. Yeah, teachers like anything. It was one of the, one thing when, well, particularly back in my Swim Australia days and were a lot of focus on trying to develop the, the business side of the swim school and the customer service similar to with with ASA now it was always like a bit of a concern for me that to the swim school owners and managers or whatever might become so focused on improving the business side they forget about what they're there for which is to have really good swimming and water safety lessons and the idea was always to enhance the business side so that they could actually then be more freed up to deliver really good swimming lessons and enhance the business side so they're more settled in their life they've got that security around all that sort of stuff and but not to say okay now we've become really good business people that's what we are it just happens to be swimming lessons we don't want that passion to be lost we want them to be really good swimming but they're actually passionate about it the swimming lessons it's so it's that still remains the the core of what they're what they're on about mm. i really like that yeah it develops everyone in a good way not just the business because you know if you develop the business that way you can then offer more time and put more time back into the swimmers and hopefully get more clientele so it, you know it's a wheel it rolls on yeah, yeah exactly yeah so is there any other advice you've given us some great advice already, but anything else that you want to touch on a new teacher or coach coming through? Yeah, probably just to reiterate about becoming the learner. Well, always, you know, really, you, you want to become, stay a great learner throughout your, your whole life. So and even more so, of course, when you, you, just, you just got your accreditation, whether it's your teacher accreditation or your coaching accreditation, treat that as your L plates maybe pea plates or whatever, but, you know, you're just on the, the journey. There's way, lots and lots of things to learn to get better and better. You know, listen to people, take advice on hand as not negative criticism. Hopefully it's delivered in a constructive way. Take that on board, you know, to learn from it and grow from it all. I think you know, that's really, really important to, to do that for. 
new people starting out in the industry. And it, it is such a, an amazing industry full of passionate people. It's probably one of the most sharing industries that are out there. I've had people come in from other industries and sat in on some of our conferences from time to time and can't believe the level of information that people are sharing with people who would be potential competitors. It's a tremendous sharing industry. Yeah, and I like that. I like that we're helping each other because it's, you know, not only just for the benefit of lifting other people up, but if we help each other, we can help swimmers, we can engage with more people, more clients. So, yeah, I, I really like the connection that swimming brings, especially into learn to swim areas. And it could be a discussion for another day, but I think you've touched on a little bit there that another one of the challenges is while some of the swim schools might be feel like they're competing for students, not so much where you are, but in different people, and they might feel like they're competing for students, the number of kids that are actually learning to swim is relatively small. So if we somehow could more effectively grow the pie, there's more kids there than we can ever fit into all the existing swim schools. So that, that, that's another discussion for another day, but that's you know, growing the pie rather than so much trying to keep or get what we have. Obviously we want to keep what we do have so they become better swimmers, but the pie in Australia, as a percentage is reasonably high to other places, but it's still no you know, the percentage it should be. So one for another day, let's grow that pie so everybody has more kids than they know what to do with. And well, there's actually will be a crisis for water space, but that's probably a good problem to have. Yeah, I like that. And I think for me, that's going to be a big point because out here in the country, I mean, councils are looking to shut pools because they've got too many or they can't afford to keep a lot going. And I think if we can show that we can grow the pie and get more people in the pool, they're less likely to shut them and look at actually upgrading them. Um, so I think, yeah, again, it all ties in that education, that promotion, that mentoring, but also yeah, growing the number of the kids involved it can really help swimming in a big way. Yeah, yeah well, you're going to have to get the mayor in for lessons. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Again, without getting into that area, it's a bit just a big area. I think in one of the earlier podcasts I heard, and it might have been, Gary might have mentioned that there's still a lot of adults who don't know how to swim. There's a lot of people coming in with different cultural backgrounds where learning to swim is a very foreign concept for them. So there are other specific areas where not even for the sake of growing the pie, other areas where people need to learn to swim and benefit from, from being able to swim well in Australia, having it as an asset for life, Katrina. Yeah, that's it. I mean, that's the thing that's only just the tip of the iceberg. I mean, there's so many more people that we can tap into and I think the more people spend learning, they can become specialists in areas and develop, you know, those swim schools and you overlap more than compete as well, I think, which is going to be good. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. There, there are probably some trends, like whole lots of areas in the world where some people would come 
better and better at being generous and providing a one-stop shop and they'll be certainly for that and then also you see in all sorts of industries growing highly specialized areas where you can see there will be some people who become super specialized in teaching babies and toddlers and then passing on to somewhere else and you know, some places just might become super specialized in teaching adults and having adult squads and, and that's cool because you know, that's the way of the world you get better better and better one-stop shops and better and better super specialized areas yeah, and that's it. And amazing how much a swim teacher or how amazing a swim teacher can become if they uh, work towards their specialist and their um, areas that they're comfortable in and, you know, that they can develop someone. And they're such a, a great swimmer into a better swimmer because of being able to focus on what they're skilled in. And I, I really like how that all ties in and it especially comes to our next question. With, for you, what does swimming look like in the future? You've given us some great ideas, that, but is there any, any other areas that you think swimming will expand? Yeah, I, I think with the sports side, it's probably got more challenges than the swim school side to stay as relevant in, a, in the way the environment is changing. I'm not just talking about COVID, about the increasing competition for, for kids and people and what they're looking out of it. But the same token, I think the sport at the competitive side can create a really good niche for itself where it may not be the perfect thing for everyone, but don't try to be. From a participation side, yes, for sure. But on the sports side to say, to be successful and enjoy this part as a sport, there's going to be certain It'll appeal to a certain niche, and we want it to be a biggest niche, but to really get good at appealing to that niche, I think that's something for a challenge there for the sport. In the learn to swim, one of the, the really, and it, while it's sad that it's lucky, but one of the lucky things for learn to swim, which we touched on a few times, is the water safety element. So, love kids learning gymnastics, love kids learning to dance, love kids learning to play tennis but obviously love kids learning to swim because it also has that benefit of making them safer in and around water so learning to swim i think will always have that benefit for it the challenge though will be keeping them learning to swim for more than two years or three years or four years so they're the challenges that's around the customer experience it's around getting the message across that you need to get to this sort certain level for it. And it's also trying to make it more affordable and accessible for bigger sections of the, the community. So I think the, the, the learn to swim side has often been reviewed as almost like a recession proof business for that particular reason, but it's going to become increasingly more challenging fantastic opportunities there for those who who get it right yeah and i really like that there's so many more opportunities as you mentioned before we've got so many more markets to tap into that we can develop and do a lot more with the industry both in learn to swim and the sport side of it competitive side Uh, yeah there's so much more we can do with it i think it's fantastic that we're in an industry that 
can adapt and change so well and so easily and expand a, a lot more. Like, yeah, definitely the, the challenge is there. And then what the, the sharing and everything, I think, is helps. And anyway, we'll see. I'd like to be back in 12 months' time and we can review what's happened. <laughs> yes, that would be fantastic. It would be great. I'll have to make up some new stories. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> so our last one, and I think you've really covered this already. We've spoken about a lot of points. But as an individual and as an industry, promoting and developing our learn to swim side as well as our competitive side is a real big focus. Do you have any extra points on how we can do that to engage more participants but to do it with less funding? Yeah, and the funding uh, is again another challenging one because, and I also look at this a little bit from the um, hat that I still have with ASA is chasing commercial partners for them. And it's, you look at the current environment where the economy is, there's way less companies with money to spend on sponsorship. Those who do have money, you now have a lot more people chasing them. And then some of the ones who do have the money are going so well, they actually don't have to market or sponsor or anything like that. So, that, and that's probably going to be the environment for a while, which is not to say there's still funding avenues out there to be tapped and we're still going to try and do that. You can see government things are going to be extremely tight for a long time. Who, you don't know where the balance is going to be from the money that they're pouring in to keep stimulating the, the economy and JobKeeper to keep people almost pseudo-employed in a lot of cases. You know, that can't go on forever and it's, it's going to be some challenges there. So I think one of the beauties of knowing that money is going to be tighter Again, it goes back to the challenge, well, we just got to do things better. Okay, so what can we do better? We can do this better. We can do this better. You know, what can we do and to not so much rely on the money? I'd, but having said all that, anything that could make swimming lessons more affordable for large sections of the community would be tremendous. I know some of that could be where people will say, well, let's get more of them swimming when they're at school, and that's fantastic. But you look at the drowning rates for under fives is 400% higher than the drowning rates for school-aged children. So, you know, school age from sort of, you know, prep year one through to year 12, the number of kids who drown there, which is terrible, but it's a small fraction of the number that drown under five. So we want them in learning before they get to school and to have good schools there. So more access for those ages would be would be tremendous. I think that that and a lot of that probably comes back to a bit of government stimulus in that area. But it, that's not a straightforward area as well. There's all all different challenges there. I think we I think probably one of the things with COVID, a number of school schools have learnt what actually they need to trim and what was, whether it's gone from outsourcing cleaning because it was 
easy to maybe now doing some of the cleaning in the house. I know that's like a little minute area of that bigger picture, but learning how to do things better with what you've got. With, again, getting away from the mentality of money coming in. And as I said, part of my job is to get money coming in. And I believe it, and that's what we do want that, is making the most of what you do have. And again, a discussion for another day, but the swim schools that do customer retention really well, they will benefit amazingly rather than just customer acquisition, those who really lift the game in terms of customer retention through better customer service, education, etc. You know, that, that's, that's a massive play moving forward. Ties in with what you said throughout is that doing business better yeah, makes a big difference. And looking at really delving into your business and seeing where you can stretch funds, but also manoeuvre them into different areas, like you said. You know, something simple as saving on cleaning, you know, especially when we've got staff that we can employ or we can use to do those sort of things. You know, I really like working out where we can be more effective in the industry, but also in our businesses. And I think that's the great point of it. And also, like you said, a lot of businesses are finding it hard now, especially over COVID. But there are still a lot of people that are making money and doing well through COVID. And do we need to look at reframing where we get our sponsorship or our funding from? Philanthropic, is that how you say it? Yeah, um, yeah. I know, know that's a hard one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, looking at people and how they connect with the sport and swimming. A lot of people have always started in swimming and bringing that connection back and looking at a way of bringing them into the industry. I know I was on a conversation, a Zoom meeting yesterday with a gentleman running a mentoring program in Warrnambool and he said they've really worked on, you know, looking for individual funding from families or people in the area that have more, you know, financially stable instead of going to big businesses and trying to, you know, get the money out of them when they're already struggling but also looking at making better connections. So connecting with universities or connecting with, you know, TAFEs or educational services that we can give them value and they can give us value or, you know, big businesses, how do we connect with them to give value more than just going, oh, we need money out of you to be able to run this program. No, how can we give them value back as well? Oh, yeah, yeah. And I think gone are the days where, go to a sponsor and say give me money because i want to do this they first and foremost it's got to be what are they looking for and how you're going to help them meet what they're looking for and then yes we can help you do that through our different program yeah and and that's definitely important and getting all those different connections looking at different partners as you said looking at some different partner opportunities out there there I'm doing a course on marketing partnerships at the moment with Katrina Makata from Marketing to Mums. And it's one of the things that being highlighted increasingly since COVID, a lot of the, the bigger companies don't have the big budgets to do big sponsorships, but they are looking for some good fit, smaller partnerships out there to fit and make things happen. So some of the opportunities then may not be big ones on the national level, 
but um, maybe some smaller ones on a regional level or stuff like that. You know, just starting to look outside the, the old box. Thank you so much. This has been absolutely amazing. And having such a wealth of knowledge that you do have to be able to share with everyone. And I think we will have to do part one, part two, part three, part four. <laughs> <laughs> Catching on different topics um, yeah. to be able to share what you know and with everyone, it'd be fantastic. Uh, that'll be good. That'll be good. And it's uh, I've started now on my walks and bike rides, starting to go backwards through your podcast now to <laughs> try and catch up. I've, I, I've got Emma, the lady that was before Emma. Actually, I've just got the more recent one. I caught. Brendan Wards, I really enjoyed that one. That was great. He was very insightful and tremendous background. Uh, Gary yes. and Sally's and a number of those. So I've just got to keep working backwards. Yeah, it's good. Keep it up. Thank you so much. And that's an honour that you've been able to, yeah, go through them. Thank you. I'm glad you're getting so much out of each one. And I'm really loving your comments on Facebook too because to be able to connect with every, everyone and find out what they're enjoying out of it and what they're getting. Because you know, I get personal information, personal drive from it. I grab so much information from these talks that we have. But, yeah, I'm just hoping that everyone else is as well. And I am hitting the target for, with what I'm doing and what my aim was. So, yeah, I really love that connection. And hopefully other people yeah, will, yeah are taking it on board as well and getting a lot out of it. Well, I'll be a good partner, and when uh, you post mine, I will share it on my page, and hopefully that might help you get some even more traction. Good. Thank you, and thank you so much for this. It's it, It's been absolutely rewarding listening, and I, I say it a bit, but a lot of the thoughts I've had about swimming, and I always think, oh, no, I don't know much. I haven't been in it for long. But, yeah, a lot of what you've said has really resonated and connected with me. So that's fantastic. And that's sort of helped me realise that, yeah, you can pick up what's going on and where we need to improve and develop. Yeah. Yeah, no, good, good. And, the, and then, like, of course, then the, one of the critical things, of course, is then action. You've got to, you know, you're hearing all the different things. Put it, put it into action. And, and don't be afraid if sometimes the action mightn't be exactly what you wanted but it will get better and better yeah that's right yep it builds every time you go every what is it practice makes perfect yes exactly exactly (laughs) good 